So um, let me just have a, a few minutes of your time to offer a homily, a reflection for our deacons today and all of us. First, let me begin with a confession. A number of years ago, Kyle Tubbs, a former pastor here, he brought up the idea of creating the group of deacons. I remember this distinctly. And I remember my very first thought and reaction, and, and I'm not proud of it, uh, but here it was. I thought, are you just trying to find others to do your work for you? Maybe that was projection, you know. Maybe that was honest. I don't know. I, we're, we're all imperfect here. This was my first thought. And pretty quickly after the first group of deacons got to work, and it included rock stars such as Cam Scott, only a few remember him, Brandy Brown, Heather Henzelka, I realized how off base my thinking was. Uh, it wasn't that the deacons were replacing the work of someone else. It's that the deacons were doing work that was going undone. And I didn't even realize it at the time. And he had the foresight to see we're going to grow into this incredible community where this kind of work needs to be attended to even more so. Think about the many ways that our deacons hold this community together. They're more than greeters. They're more than someone to print the guide, to coordinate logistics for meal deliveries. They do all that, but there's so much more. Instead, the work they do embodies the very definition of care proposed by the sociologist and care theorist, yeah, that's a real job, Joan Tronto. She defines care as, and I quote, a species of activity, I already like it, a species of activity that includes everything we do to maintain, contain, and repair our world, to make it as inhabitable as possible. That's beautiful, right? A species of activity that includes everything we do to maintain, contain, and repair our world, to make it as inhabitable as possible. Now, she makes care sound fundamentally like it's something we do, but she adds uh, four attributes of skillful care. She says, first, care requires attentiveness, the skill of noticing and anticipating needs, right? We might call this caring about something or giving a darn. Believe it or not, we all usually can like say, oh, I care. I care about the environment. I care about the poor. I care, I care about, and most of us actually stop right there. And she says, well, that's only one of four requirements to actually care. All right. That's a good start, but that's not it. Um, we have no shortage of people who do that. She says, you need a second capacity. You have to take responsibility for that. There has to be this willingness to respond to and take care of need. I think we would all agree there's a massive chasm between that first attribute and that second. I can see the need. All right, but I'm actually going to do something about it. She said, third, there is competence. There is competence in care. Successful care, that is. This, too, is rare. It's a common joke that we can get free help or we can get good help but you can't really get free good help. And in fact, if I'm helping somebody say move, there's Joel, I'll be like, hey, you can get free help or good help, and guess which one you got today? <laughs> you got free help. 
Um, so often we're trying to find good help, we're trying to find competent help, and we go out there and, and try to do it. And usually we have to pay for it. But notably, all of that calculus is absent in the divine economy that our deacons administer around here. The fourth attribute of skillful care is recognition. Recognition, and this one caught me off guard, recognition of the potential for abuse in care. She says, realize, if you're in a caring position, there are power dynamics right there. There's a potential inherent in this that you could harm somebody or you could exploit somebody. Caring, caring is inherent with power dynamics. I'm the care giver and you're the care receiver, so shut your mouth and receive. <laughs> One might say, I'm above you, and the other could say, okay, well, you serve me then. So there are power dynamics even there. Either side might exploit that setup and wring the other out like a sponge. Yet time and again, I've witnessed our deacons taking all four of these steps seriously. They notice a need. They take appropriate responsibility with competence and all the while asking how they might promote the care receivers flourishing and functioning while avoiding the exploitative dynamics that could be present in care relationships. We've all experienced this from our deacons. Have you personally? I know I have. Just like in the text read by Nate earlier, they're skillful at rejoicing with those who rejoice. I mean, they help throw some parties, some epic parties. It's funny, for their party today, we're just going to Torchies. We didn't throw them one. All right, that is a party. That is a party. Fine. They're good at mourning with those who mourn. When we grieve and our hearts are heavy, they're there with us. They're there when we lose loved ones, when we lose or change a job, when the world becomes such that we can only take it in at a teaspoon at a time because it's too much. They are right there. They're there. I've received calls, texts, notes, checking up on me, asking me how I'm doing, or sharing that I'm on their minds, or saying I'm in their prayers, or as Paul likes to say, he's holding me in the light. Because Paul can't say, you know, I will pray for you because it doesn't fit with his Christianish Quaker tradition that he comes from. David's pointing down. Sorry, the Paul that is in this community, not the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul doesn't hold me in the light, I don't think. Paul Verizzo. Paul Verizzo, who's not here because he's at his Quaker meeting, the first and third Sundays of the month. Um, yeah, he won't say, I'll pray for you. He says, I'll, I'll hold you in the light. And you know what? I believe him when he tells me that. I don't usually believe people when they're like, I'll pray for you. I'm like, I'll pray for you too, buddy. But when he says, I'm holding you in the light, Matthew, I'm like, wow, he's honest enough to say, I, I don't really know what prayer is and I don't get all that. I know what it means to hold somebody in the divine light. All right. I believe him. It's that kind of diversity that's sprinkled among our deacons. And in this community, that's beautiful. Now, this deacon ordination service happens to fall in the middle of a sermon series we're doing about songs that bring us to spiritual places. And the song I chose after querying the whole community and then not going with anything they recommended <laughs> usually drives yeah. Heather crazy. Yeah, I do that to her. The song I chose, As Long As I Can See the Light by CCR. Lyle and the band are going to sing it for us here in a moment. Um, I love this song for many reasons. 
In the song, the singer says he's got to move. He's got to go. He's got to leave. But don't worry, because he'll find his way home as long as he can see the candle placed in the window. I love this song, not least of which is because I believe in the right for folks to leave home, to deviate in part or in full from the expectations placed on them by parents and communities and churches and society or whatever, like Abraham and Sarah, and Sarah that patriarch and matriarch of our faith, uh, they felt this divine calling to leave and go and go somewhere new, and they did that, and I affirm that. Those who consider peace home, us, we've wandered from all over and we found our way here because I like to think there's a candle in the window sending a message. Travelers are welcome here. Seekers, the believers and post-believing and not so sure what they believe are welcome here. The behaviors and the misbehaviors are welcomed here. All those who are drawn to our candle of dignity, of respect, of hope, of knowing and being known are welcome here. For the, fast, for the past few years, one of the ways that I've thought about our community, and we have a unique community here, so we gotta bring in unique metaphors, but one of the ways I've thought about what we're doing here is that we are something of a hospice for faith. Hear me out, hear me out. A lot of the folks attracted here are at that hospice stage in their spiritual lives, right? Trust in the goodness of God or the world or their fellow human is dying. Hope is dying. Faith is dying. Belief that a Jesus-shaped community could be enjoyable, (laughs) safe, life-giving, that's dying. And the curative solutions offered by a typical church where spiritual experts surgically cut away bad beliefs and implant right beliefs, those solutions aren't working for them. In fact, these cures are doing more harm than they are good. And so folks find themselves here, where we are practicing a kind of spiritual palliative care, where we are less focused on curing one another and more focused on accompanying one another toward healing and wholeness in whatever way that happens to look for us at this point in life. And it takes many forms, relational health, emotional health, intellectual health, where we're allowed to ask questions and have doubts and explore things, material health, where we literally are meeting one another's material needs, and of course, spiritual health, where we are somehow being woven into this fabric of God's divine community and presence that carries us through all of life. And just like in a hospice program, some people die. Their faith in the possibility of a spiritual community dies or a spirituality shaped by the love of God as revealed in Jesus, it, it, it dies and they move on. And this is tough to witness. We sometimes will just lament that together. Hey, you remember so-and-so? Wow. I miss them. And despite our best attempts at care, at attentiveness, responsibility, competence, and recognition of dangers, it happens. But some experience, you know, I don't know what else to call it besides resurrection. Resurrection. Some come back to life in incredible 
beautiful ways, and they feel as if they have been returned to life. Maybe this is you. I know it's certainly been me. And this is, of course, our collective work. This is what we're doing here. If you, what the heck am I doing on a Sunday morning? This is one of my two days off. It's beautiful outside in our, our two weeks of beautiful weather in Texas. I should be out there now. This is what we're doing. This is the collective work we are doing as a community. And I think you would agree with me that our deacons are some of our most important leaders and teachers in this work. They are a healing, even a resurrecting force in this community. They are that light in the window leading us home, and I'm incredibly excited to have them all as partners and friends and co-healers in our community's work. At this time, I would like to invite Jana and our deacon candidates up for this next part, where we welcome two more as co-healers into that work. Thank you.